Hi, I'm Jack, and welcome to episode 15 of Turning On To Harbor. Today I have a special guest with me. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi everybody, uh, I'm Rob Plays, or sometimes I go by Rob Plays That Game. I'm a YouTuber. I'm, uh, as of this week, actually 30 years old, and uh, I'm from New York City. Cool. And I've uh, been doing YouTube for a couple of years now, all about Disney. So, Rob, what got you into Disney? What what was kind of like that beginning of like, whoa, this is a cool, cool thing? Oh, I was, I mean, I was born into it. Like I was one, I was part of one of those families where our annual vacation every year was to Disney World. So I have like video footage of me there, like in a stroller. So nice. I sort of had that upbringing, but then I think around college, uh, I started to appreciate it for other reasons outside of just, it was a really fun place to go. Uh, I would read about the history and I really appreciated it for um, just the amount of work that goes into maintaining it. And like Disney World's like a small country and I really appreciated how they kept to that even, you know, decades after Walt was gone. So I just got really into the history part of it. Gotcha. So then you kind of made this transition from just being a, a, a hardcore fan into a hardcore fan slash very popular YouTuber. So what was that transition like and what, what, how did your YouTube channel come about? Um, uh, it's really weird. It's not like most YouTube origin stories. Um, so I used to work at a company called Howcast and they used to make how-to videos on the internet. Okay. Uh, they still might actually. Uh, and I was producing video game content for them. I'm a big video game fan and they had a video game channel so I was uh, one of their lead content producers. We were doing like walkthroughs and stuff and I started playing Minecraft for them and I had a lot of fun doing it and even though they eventually sort of stepped away from the field, I still had a blast doing it. I had gotten to know people from the channel and so I decided, alright, I'm going to make my own channel. I'm going to do this on the side as a hobby. So I started Rob Plays That Game, which is why it's called that, is because originally it was just a video game channel. I was just okay. playing, you know, whatever video games are out there. Mm -hmm. And then one random day, I decided uh, I, I wanted to talk Disney. I was excited for a trip, and I found a Minecraft server that recreated Disney on a one-to-one -one scale. And so I explored it, talked about the history of Disney, and that ended up being, like, it, to this day, it's still one of my most consistently best-viewed videos. And so I was like, oh, well... People are really into this. Maybe I should do more <laughs> Disney stuff. And yeah. so I just started doing more and more. And it got to the point where maybe I want to say about a year and a half ago, I decided, all right, I'm just going to go full Disney and just drop the video game stuff. As you made that transition about a year and a half ago from all this different content to Disney, what was kind of like the main drive for that? Why Why did you decide to focus more on Disney than on you on gaming in general? Uh, it was something that I struggled with for a really long time. Uh, I, when it comes to YouTube as just a platform, you know, the channels that do one thing well tend to do better than trying to do a million things. You think of a lot of popular uh, channels out there, and they usually have like one thing that's their main thing. And uh, mm -hmm. I tried for a while balancing. I had a second channel, I still do, I guess, technically called Rob Plays Those Games. And for a while, that was video games, and that game was all about Disney. Um, but it's a lot of work and, you know, it's still a side thing for me. I have a, you know, regular nine to five job. So I decided that if I was going to do really well in one of these, I'd have to drop the other. And at the end of the day, I just had more ideas, more passion for Disney than video games. On top of that, like video game 
YouTube channels, they're everywhere. They're like a, a way more of them, so it's a lot more competition out there. Whereas like Disney, like the, I think the only reason I really grew is because Minecraft Disney World was something a lot of kids were searching for, but nobody was making content for right. it. So that's a really valuable thing to find. So I couldn't let that go. Gotcha. So you said that you worked for Howcast originally, and now you're working this nine to five job. When did you make that transition, and what are you doing now? Uh, I made that transition. I think it's like coming up on four years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I don't have like a, it's nothing. It's not a very notable. It's just like an office nine to five job at a an uh, online advertising uh, in New York City. Um, it's great because I worked in a field that was very creative where I was you know producing all this content and to do all of that creatively minded work during the day and then go home and try and do more of it was very taxing so now yeah. I have more of a you know technical uh, leaning job so that I get to focus on the creativity at home so yeah I that, enjoy it yeah that's cool and as you see um, as part of Rob's YouTube channel he you you tend to uh, tend to post a ton of videos per week it's awesome there's always this content that's coming in so it's cool that you're able to be flexible in that sense yeah th three a week um i used to at one point was doing seven videos a week that's one so every day crazy. <laughs> yeah but it really does become a like quantity versus quality and i realized one day like you know, I'd record something in 20 minutes and I had no time to edit it because I had to work on the next thing. And right. I was like, you know what? I'd rather just take my time and work on three videos I'm proud of rather than just pump out seven. Uh, but it's like that ever constant battle on YouTube of like getting more content out there versus getting good content out there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the three videos a week are solid and I, like I can barely get out one every week, <laughs> every two weeks because of uh, school and homework. So I applaud you for being able to get three out a week. It's pretty cool. Takes practice for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> I, luckily, I'm, I'm glad I worked at Howcast because they were big on quantity. So I learned how to move very fast. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of your stuff is scripted as well, which is very, very nice. The way so I just recently watched the uh, the wave uh, the wave pool in the lagoon, and that was so interesting. And you made it so short and concise that a lot of people would be willing to put three minutes into learning about this and now they've just learned about this whole different side of um what was going on at that point it from a rob video that comes out three times a week it's awesome so <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah absolutely so um now we're gonna get a little bit into more of the podcast side of it so yeah. Uh, pretty recently, I started seeing the TTA podcast kind of come up on Twitter and in my, uh, and then I subscribed and it started coming into my feed. And it has now become one of the podcasts that I listen to every week because it is just uh, a great show that kind of works on some news aspects. But instead of me telling you about your show, let me let me hear it from you. What is the TTA podcast? Sure. Uh, it is. Uh, I like there's so many different ways to describe it. It is my second attempt at a podcast. I can put it that way. Okay. Uh, it's a weekly Disney podcast that is co-hosted by myself and one of my best friends, Christine, who also has a YouTube channel. Um, we've uh, been at it for, I'd say, I think about 35-ish episodes now. Uh, we're still kind of finding 
what format we want. Like we do a lot of uh, listener questions. We do some news. We'll do movie reviews. Uh, but then we also try to find some, you know, discussion topics that really don't relate to anything going on at the moment that are just Disney focused. Because at the end of the day, when I decided, you know, I came to, I went to Christine and I was like, I want to do a podcast. Uh, what I loved most about Disney podcasts at the time that I listened to was just talking about disney like it didn't have to be you know a breakdown of touring strategies or you know you know bob Iger extended his contract a year what does this mean <laughs> i just sometimes liked hearing like oh i love this ride and this is why i love this ride and it's sort of a way to vicariously live through a disney trip so i wanted to do that um and uh, originally, I had done a podcast called the Rob Plays That Game Disney podcast, which was essentially just me taking the audio from my videos and putting it out as a podcast. And it really didn't work because they're videos for a reason. Uh, right. So <laughs> as, as I gained a little free time from cutting down on the number of videos I did a week, I was like, all right, I've got time every week now to put together a legitimate podcast. And that's when I reached out to Christine and, and got the ball rolling. Gotcha. So when did you meet Christine? Because you guys obviously don't live in the <laughs> same area. So how did how did that relationship come together? So actually, we um, we've been close friends since about the fourth or fifth grade. Um, she was a year ahead of me in school. So we went to the same elementary school, okay. we went to the same junior high school. Um, we're still both in New York City, though she's in it's when you live in New York City, it's hard to describe, like, she's not too far from me. She's like a 10-minute drive, but in, in New York City, you have to take public transit most yeah. places, and that could become, like, an hour-long trip. So we never do a lot of our recording locally, okay. but uh, we're still in the same city. Yeah, we've known each other since we were little kids, and she's in the same boat where she was part of, like, a Disney family that went all the time. So we just always had that in common, and, uh, you know... Uh, me and our uh, mutual friend Keith Lapinig, who's also a Disney YouTuber, yeah, like have been Keith. goading her for years into like <laughs> making a channel. Okay. And a couple of years ago, finally got her to do it. So, cool. yeah. Very cool. And so then you guys come came together and collabed on this podcast. When did uh, when did the podcast come to fruition? When did that start? I want to say last fall so we do weekly episodes 30 weeks so uh however the math breaks out on that yeah i think it was like it was in the fall of last year yeah, um i had started a video game podcast the spring of last year uh which was sort of my testing ground i was like i need to learn about podcasting i was doing that with a friend and so once i had a solid handle of that i was like all right let me try this with disney now okay very cool very cool who edits your guys's episodes is it you or is it christine all me. Um, <laughs> it's it's gotten easier. That's the one benefit I would say of being like best friends with the co-host for like decades now mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. we have such a flow that you know I technically edit the episodes, but it's very minimal editing. Usually we'll put a show outline together, and we've got like this pace with each other that requires very little uh, editing. So you know that that's made it a lot easier to work on it while working on the channel. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. I'm going to ask you a little bit about um, kind of, I am get to leave t t uh, today's Sunday. What is the date today? March 26th. And uh, tomorrow, Monday, is uh, the day that I get to go on a trip 
to Anaheim with my school for the Student Daddy. Television Network, and uh, we get to go to a convention at the Anaheim Convention Center. And so the first day that we're there, I get to go to Disneyland. So last month, I talked to Dale Wetland of uh, Network 1901 and the Disney Culture Club, and uh, we talked about um, going to Disneyland in one day and how you can how you can do that and the best way to get everything in in just the one day. And um, so I've just been kind of doing a little bit of research and I wanted to see a little bit, um, kind of some of your tips, tricks, um, <laughs> some rituals that you have. But I just wanted to start off, have you been to Disneyland? Because I know you're you're uh, usually pretty focused on Disney World during the podcast and you usually plan your trips around there like you're going there in April. But um, yep. what about Disneyland? Yep, I've uh, gone for the first time. It was fall 2015, okay. actually. Christine and I both went. It was our first trip, and uh, Keith Lapanig was like our de facto tour guide. He was nice. taking us around to the parks and showing us how to do it. And let me tell you, he's a, a super efficient tour, like tourer of the parks. Um, gotcha. We were there for two days. Uh, we did one day in Disneyland, one day in California Adventure, and we did almost everything. It was amazing. It was tiring, but it was really amazing. Yeah. Um, have you ever been before? Yeah, so I've actually okay. been a couple different times. I uh, just recently went to Disney World last summer, um, but we only got to be there for two days because there was a family vacation afterward, and it was just kind of one of those squeezed in there, which was awesome. It was so great. Uh, we got to go to the Magic Kingdom, and we ended up going to Hollywood Studios because my family's couple thrill seekers so uh <laughs> wanted to make sure we got on rock and roller coaster and tower of terror because they are now closing it here in disneyland well yeah. closing or retheming however you want to say that and i know you've talked a little bit about that on the podcast but just really quickly what do you what do you think about that entire situation <laughs> for the listeners I am, here <laughs> i am controversially very pro change when it comes to almost anything at Disney as long as the change is worth it uh, granted I'm biased I've been to Disneyland once Disney World's my home park so one I, I like the Hollywood Studios Tower of Terror better uh, but two like I guess there's less I, I'm gonna lose less with, from it changing so right. like I'm kind of for it I'm actually planning hopefully to go down to California and uh, visit the later this summer because I want to ride it and see I mean I like Guardians of the Galaxy it's it's really a matter of they need to prove that what they're replacing it with is better than what's being replaced but Absolutely. beyond that I think anything can be replaced yeah I, I completely agree I think it's going to be a an interesting transition for sure because you're trying to uh, create this old Hollywood kind of vibe with DCA and with the whole retheming of Buena Vista Street and then you're coming in and kind of changing one of its prime rides uh, that wow. kind of fits into that theme and uh, one that a little little spookier for not as many people to go on which um, you know I could even make the lines even longer with Guardians of the Galaxy being in there but as you said before, pro change, I, I really do think that it's going to be very interesting and I think that it, it'll probably bring more people to that ride because, you know, they can associate with Guardians of the Galaxy. But I agree with you. I think Disney World's, uh, Disney World's uh, Tower of Terror is better because the, you know, the way that you come out and you go through the little, or the eye and the mirrors and then you kind of come into it. I think that, that one's cooler. But, um... 
Yeah. We'll Even we'll the queue. I like uh, the queues I find are very distinct but mm-hmm. uh, and unique, but I kind of the the queue in Hollywood Studios always creeped me out. The one in California, I think, did a little less so. I don't know if it's because I didn't grow up with it. Right. But um, yeah, it's, I, it's not just that one great of those a queue. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's here's the thing with Disneyland in general, I am always impressed with how they use their size uh, to the best of their advantage. And I think that's a great example of an attraction that does that. Like they don't have the same space that Hollywood studios has. So they have to work with what they've got. And I think they do a good job of it. Yeah, Um, I agree. Hopefully they'll do the same with guardians. Yeah. So the only queue that I've been through for the one in Orlando would be um, the fast pass queue. So that one was more outside and it kind of weaves you in towards the, um, in, in towards the regular queue but it was very interesting it was like there were like misters but they weren't actually missed and this was in the heat of summer so we were like oh a little bit of water but it turns out that it was just like <laughs> hot air and but the way that they the way that that, that was put together it kind of made it um more kind of creepy and kind of cool the way that there was just like the steam coming off of um all the plants and stuff but yeah you know we'll um we'll see what we'll see what goes on but that kind of leads me into another kind of down another rabbit hole i was wanting to kind of uh talk with you a little bit about if you were to change another ride in disney world or disneyland one that you think probably isn't getting enough love as this moment what would you want to either retheme it to or what would you want to replace it with like gut it and create something completely new so this is one I've done <clears throat> two videos on now, actually, and okay. I get a lot of likes and a lot of dislikes at this idea. <laughs> okay. But I'm in favor of uh, not removing the Carousel of Progress, but changing every scene in it. I think when a lot of people talk about updating the Carousel of Progress, they talk about that final scene, which is supposed to be a look into the future. Right. Uh, but I am a proponent of changing all of them. You know, my argument has always been that while the first three scenes are designed to be a look back uh, with nostalgia at how technology has improved in the past, the thing is, that's an attraction that was created in the 1960s for the New York World's Fair. So when guests in 1964 were riding that, depending on their age, they actually could remember those three previous scenes and you know have that connection of growing up in that time and i think that added a level of depth to the attraction that has been lost to time because now realistically speaking whoever's going on the carousel progress today they're not going to be they don't remember that they're not old enough to remember any of those uh and then that final scene has sort of become a 1990s version of what we thought the future was going to look like and it didn't turn out (laughs) necessarily like that so i say go back new scenes all four new scenes keep the same concept but push up all the dates so do like the end of the 60s when we land on the moon do the mid to late 70s when home computing starts to become a thing do you know the mid 80s when the internet is born and you know the 90s and then do a new futuristic look so you still have same theme same concept but it's now suddenly relatable again to guests who are visiting because they can remember these eras and then you know it just it's that novelty of having something new and fresh and it's still in the spirit waltz ride it's it's the same thing yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really cool idea. The only kind of issue that I think would come with it is that the end of that scene really reflects how Tomorrowland looks at this point. Like, it's still very 
very dated in the sense that it all looks like the future from the 90s, where it would just kind of, um, you know, I feel like there just needs to be a general retheming of Tomorrowland in the sense of just kind of creating a more futuristic feel to it. But, um, you know, we talk about the Carousel of Progress, and we talk um, kind of a little bit about um, interventions in the sense that it's the same building but something completely different, and the way that no longer do you have the original in the original park, but I've put it into the the, the park um, that is um, in Orlando. And the same thing with the People Mover and a couple different things where those tracks and attractions are still there, but they've completely rethemed them and changed them. So what are your thoughts on maybe bringing those back in the same, so having the exact same rides in both, uh, on both coasts, kind of. So like, kind of having, um, yeah, just having both of them on, on both coasts. I mean, I'm totally for that because I think both Tomorrowlands are in need of sort of a new take. Uh, I think I they are very aged. I think especially in uh, Florida, it has, they have a real identity crisis going on there where it just seems to be like any vaguely futuristic Disney property gets thrown in there. And there was a time where even in the 90s when it was refurbed yet again, there was a common theme of this idea of Tomorrowland was a place. And my theory is, of course, like, I think Disney had plans to do that with Tomorrowland the movie, and then the movie just didn't do as well as they were hoping, and so they, they right. had to, you know, drop it. But, um, I mean, there are so many rides in there that I think could get a, a upgrade. And, you know, looking at the Tomorrowland in California as well, I think there's a lot of room to do new things with it and kind of give it an upgrade that isn't, you know, thankfully because of a Star Wars land existing elsewhere, yeah. isn't going to just be a Star Wars future park. Um, they just need to embrace doing original concepts again, which I think for all the great things Bob Iger has done for the Disney company, if you think about it, when it comes to attractions in the United States, I'm still waiting to see if somebody can think of something that I haven't yet. But since he has taken over, I don't think there's been an original attraction in the U.S. opened under Bob Iger. Like, I think everything's based on a property or a movie or something. Right. He's done stuff overseas, uh, and the only thing that comes close is Expedition Everest opened under him, but it was greenlit under Eisner. So it's like, right. we need somebody in charge who's, like, going to embrace doing completely original ideas that have nothing to do with the movies and then i think tomorrowland on both coasts can grow into something new i think that's a really cool idea and there are definitely some spaces and i know a lot of people are going to get frustrated at me for this but maybe getting rid of autopia maybe getting oh, yeah. rid of interventions all those kinds of attractions that can start to get phased out so that you can create some some new ideas and there are obviously a ton of of newer properties that have to do with the future, such as like Wally -E and that kind of thing that you could kind of start to incorporate. But I think that you're right in the sense that we need to continue to look forward and maybe work on some original uh, IPs, maybe even just some original ideas that can um, go into this new kind of Tomorrowland that would actually be the land of tomorrow. And if you think about it, it's good business sense because like, uh, the what is it? The fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movies coming out this summer. Like that yeah. series wouldn't exist without the original attraction that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. You know. So I think 
in a short term, it makes sense that they, they want to just, you know, make the Star Wars stuff or make, you know, Avatar or whatever they're, you know, tied into promotionally. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I think long term, the benefit is make something that becomes a classic that lives on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So that's like Tomorrowland, I think, just needs to continue to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, since I'm leaving tomorrow, we're going to jump back a little bit. Um, I wanted to know kind of how you prepare for your trips for Disney. So, like, give me, like, uh, one week out. What are you doing to get ready to go? So, typically, I'd say I try to forget about the trip as much as possible so that it <laughs> comes quicker. Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of my preparation nowadays is, like, all video-related, making sure all my batteries are charged, making sure mm-hmm. I've got all my memory cards cleared and they're all packed with me uh packing i'm i'm a very quick packer so i don't do that until like the day before um i at that point already have all my fast passes planned and my reservations Uh, i think it's always good for any vacation disney or otherwise a week out to call the hotel and confirm your reservation because you never know something could go wrong and you don't want to be showing up and not have a room Uh, but i do a lot of like at that point, I'm listening to like a lot of Disney music. I'm mm-hmm. probably listening to more Disney podcasts than usual. Um, nowadays with the channel, I'm working a lot to get videos ready so that they can go up while I'm away. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I think that's what it is. I keep myself very busy and excited. Um, but packing the packing and the actual like physical getting ready takes place like 24 hours beforehand. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wanted you to know, I wanted you to see. Uh, for those of you who aren't on Twitter, and if you aren't on Twitter, you should get on Twitter. Rob and I were having a conversation last week about this cool contraption that he has created for Disney pins to put onto your backpack, to put onto <laughs> your luggage, that kind of thing, so you don't have to wear a lanyard. So I wanted to show you. I ended up making some of them, and they turned out awesome. Oh, the nice. way the way that it all worked out um you, you've got uh like you said i think i got six or seven different pins on there and then i just sewed the top of it and then used the carabiner clip and then it's elastic so it stretches out which um allows you know it to be a little bit more um you can fit more on there so i made four of them i just went a little bit crazy but it was just so fun to just kind of figure this out and now i don't have to wear a lanyard so yeah not only that rob for that four now you could like you could swap them out mid-trip like say i'm these are this is these are the pins that i'm looking to trade today let me clip that one on uh it worked out really well i'm bringing that on in april when i go down again because i do have pins now that i want to trade and i like you i don't really want to walk around with a lanyard all week yeah (laughs) absolutely and i'm with kids from my school and i'm gonna get judged so i'm like okay here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna wear my ironic disney shirt that maybe people won't know what's going on i'll have my pins on my backpack i'll be recording because we're like part of a video class so i'm just gonna preface it like that it's gonna be all good i'm just really excited to continue to um actually during this podcast get to go to a park and really kind of look at it from that perspective but um i also wanted to ask you if you have any like um like like with this this was a very solid tip 
that you gave me. Do you have any other tips for people who are going to Disney World, Disneyland, who um, kind of need a sense of direction, something where they can, you know, just something that you feel that works for you and yeah. that would work for other people? Yeah. Uh, so if you're doing a short trip, like you mentioned, you're going for a day, right. my tip would be to shift your whole eating schedule uh i think you know uh, the parks are very predictable when lunchtime rolls around the lines get crazy for food and mm -hmm. i think you see some ride lines get a little bit better so if i'm doing a really busy day i'll have either like an early lunch or a late lunch i'll just eat outside of those hours so that i have more time to do other things on longer trips i am a massive proponent of breaking up your day now, this isn't something that I think is as applicable in California, but, you know, uh, you could get this park hopper option in Cal uh, Florida, which lets you jump to different parks throughout the day. And, you know, with there being four, there's more opportunity to do that. And so I always tell people who are on like on their first trip, you know, here's what you should do. Go to the park in the morning, go early, wake up early, uh, enjoy the rides. Then once it's like midday and the lunch lines get crazy, leave, go back to your re resort. Maybe eat there, relax, take a nap, go in the pool for an hour, whatever, just take a break. And then yeah. in the afternoon, go to another park, completely different park. It gets you out of the park during the hottest time of the day, during the, mm -hmm. the most busy time of the day. Uh, gives you a chance to recharge. And then by going to two different parks throughout the day, at least for me, it's like a mental trick where it makes my days feel longer because like, oh, this morning I was all the way over in that theme park. Now I'm over here. Right. And so uh, that is like, I stick to that every trip almost. I go go to back to the resort in the middle of the day. And even if you can't, like just taking a break to relax goes a long way in allowing you to tour longer. So I okay. always suggest that people don't try to just go nonstop beginning mm -hmm. to end. You'll burn out fast. I feel like this, that's the cool thing about Disney World too, is that you've got these immersive, uh, immersive hotels that you can stay at, resorts that you can stay at, to where you can come back and still feel like you're part of the magic. And I'm not saying that you can't do that with Grand Californian or um, or the actual Disneyland hotel, but I feel like it's it's a little bit different with Disney World because there are so many different resorts and they're all like enclosed on this giant property that Disney owns. So if you were to stay at a at a resort, which give me like your top three. Um yeah, so uh West Coast, I love the Disneyland hotel. Okay. I love it. I it's so good. It's it's got this perfect blend of um sort of modern um design mixed with like the 1960s it feels like an original disneyland you know uh property uh and then over in florida the polynesian is one that i've just visited in january and i love um it's it's a great theme it is one where i feel like i'm escaping the real world and That's then cool. beyond that I, I i would say the contemporary i haven't stayed there since i was a little kid mm -hmm. uh but you know there's something really novel about the monorail going through it and this whole giant atrium that's almost like a mini city down there and yeah. uh my goal is to eventually stay there again it's not it's not the cheapest of resorts but yeah. uh it is For an experience sure. that i want to i want to get to again yeah that's cool uh very very um i like that you incorporated both coasts that was that was cool if you were to stay at a like for a family of five 
and they need, they're on a bit of a budget, what would be the, your favorite value resort? So favorite value, I would put Pop Century. I haven't tried Art of Animation. I want to stay there eventually. They're mostly like larger suites, so I haven't had a need to, but mm -hmm. I want to check that out. Um, but I would also, for a family of five, say uh, to look into the Fort Wilderness Campground cabins. Um, okay. I stayed there. I was, we were a group of six, and we stayed there one year. And while it does take a little bit more time to travel because it's such a large resort, uh, it's a really cool to have. Like you, you literally have your own cabin with the kitchen and the bathroom and everything. And that's really uh, cool. It's a nice way to get away. Yeah, you're like in the middle of you know a forest, and yet you're still just a short ride away to a boat to get you to the Magic Kingdom. So right. uh, I always tell people check that one out. I thought I was gonna hate that resort when we picked mm -hmm. it. I was like vetoed by the group because I'm not a big like nature lover, uh, right. and I walked away really really liking it. Yeah, living in the concrete jungle, I could probably see that <laughs> just a tad. But um, so, um, do you have any like? tips, tricks, or like super secrets that not a lot of people know about that you can share with the listeners here on Turning On To Harbor? Hmm, I don't know if I have any secrets, but uh, tips and tricks, let's see, uh, you know, a lot of people would say book your, you can book your fast passes for later in the afternoon, get there at road right. drop so you can do all the big rides while the lines are short and then do them again later when you have your fast pass. Mm -hmm. um, Keep in mind that over in Florida, you get three fast passes a day to book, pre-book, but once you've gone through them, you can then book extra ones. Uh, and then to add to that, um, so the system only allows you to book fast passes for one park um, at, per day. So right. what my friends and I will do often, if it's something like Epcot, where we only really need the one ride anyway, like one or two, is mm -hmm. we'll book those, we'll go do them really quickly, cancel our third and once that's canceled and you've done your two mm -hmm. you can use yours at any other park you don't have okay. to be bound to Epcot so we do something like that uh, and then um, you know uh, I, I don't know it's just uh, I feel like because of the internet and the channels a lot of these aren't like very secret tips anymore they're mostly <laughs> all out there yeah. uh, it's really just about finding your style of touring or vacationing and there'll be a whole bunch of advice out there for like the best way to do it, whether you want to relax and stretch it out or like really hit those parks hard and get as many rides done as possible. Yeah, and I just read in Disneyland and California Adventure, I'm not sure if this is still true, but uh, at the time that it was um, posted, the um, both, uh, both parks are on different fast pass systems. So you can go get one fast pass at Disneyland hop over to California Adventure, grab another huh. fast pass even when the other one is not up. So that's kind of planning your fast passes just as you would do for um, Walt Disney World. And I think with the new digital fast pass system, the Max Pass that was very controversial at the beginning of this year, um, we'll see that a little bit more with the planning strategies um, mm. for, for Disneyland as well. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, great uh, fast pass tips. So we're now going to go on to the last part of our show before we let Rob go. And uh, we're going to go on to some rapid fire questions. All right, so, I'm ready. <laughs> you ready for this? Let me make sure yeah. I have them all pulled up and ready to go. Um, set the clock for a certain amount of minutes. And here we go. What is your favorite park? 
in Walden. Epcot. There you go. Epcot. What is your favorite <laughs> land in Epcot? And I know that it's a little bit different um, land-wise, but like if it's your favorite country or... You, uh, you I'd say Future World more specifically, if we're going back in time, uh, Spaceship... Well, this goes to rides. I'd say the Land Pavilion in Future World since it's okay. multiple things. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. What's your favorite ride in any of the parks anywhere? Uh... Old rides, Horizons, current rides, Spaceship Earth. Good call. What about a favorite Disney movie? Ooh, uh, all animated Aladdin live action, the original Parent Trap. Jeez, I love it. I love it. I love it. What's your <laughs> favorite movie that's not Disney? <laughs> uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which Solid. I grew up with. It's not a great movie, but. Uh, it's, <laughs> Got the hey, that's like that's like <laughs> me. One of my favorite movies being like Nacho Libre or Napoleon Dynamite. It's got that nostalgia to it. It's awesome. Yeah, you grow with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. What about a favorite character from the? Uh, yeah, uh, just a favorite character in general. Uh, Goofy uh, from when I was a kid, and also now because of those new Mickey cartoons, which I love. I love their rendition yes. of Goofy. Absolutely. What about a favorite character in the park? Would it still be Goofy, or would you go kind of obscure with something from, like, Future World, or...? Maybe, uh, okay, again, retired retired attractions, the, the mom and dad from Horizons. Current okay. attractions, I would say either the father from Carousel of Progress, uh, or, oddly enough, I, I don't know, maybe the ghost host in the Haunted Mansion. I like that. They're getting real obscure, like, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've got the Hotbox Ghost uh, T-shirt for the Hotbox Ghost that I wear all the time and love to tell people. And they're like, "Who is that?" And I'm like, "Come on." <laughs> okay, so what about your favorite Disney soundtrack? What's the best score to a Disney movie? Oh, to a movie. Uh, I was thinking. Uh, my first thought went to rides. To a movie, <laughs> we'll I do would both. We'll say. Do both. Okay, <laughs> for a movie, I think Aladdin. Okay. Uh, I yeah, I love that music. For ride, I was gonna say the Jeremy Irons era Spaceship Earth score uh, okay. is amazing. Nice. What about a favorite yeah. song or album or artist that is not Disney? Not Disney. Uh, this seems like a cheap answer, but I really have a hard time finding favorites with music because I okay. think my style, like what I listen to, is so eclectic and all over the place. But recently. Uh, song called Land Sick by Chuck Reagan from the Flame in the Flood soundtrack. It's this amazing indie video game uh, with like an actual legit soundtrack, not just like video game music. And uh, that's cool. Yeah, I could listen to that all day. That's really, really cool. Okay, what about your favorite Disney snack in any of the parks? So everyone goes to like Dole Whip. Uh, I was <laughs> gonna say the ice cream sandwiches because I really like them, but. I just tried it for the first time on my last trip. LeFou's Brew in Fantasyland is fantastic. I love it more than a Dole Whip. I can't wait. I get a, less than a month. I get to go back and have one again. What is comprised of LeFou's Brew? It's like a, think of it like a, almost like a slushy frozen apple juice with like this marshmallow cream on top, which sounds on paper really oh. weird. Yeah. But it works really well. It looks like almost like a brew. Um, uh, some people say it's too sweet, which I can definitely see. There's, it, it is a very sweet drink. Uh, but it's, yeah, like a frozen apple juice. It's just really good. 
Gotcha. Very cool. What about a favorite Disney restaurant? Uh, let's see. Beer Garden in Germany is one I love going to every time we're there. I'm skipping it this, this next trip, but whenever we're in a group, we try to go there. It's a great time. If you were to get a plate from the Beer Garden, what would it be? That's the best part. Beer Garden's a buffet, so it would be a plate. Oh, got Everything. him! Everything. <laughs> and then you That's go awesome. again, and you can get another plate, and then you can just really push your limits and get very unhealthy and eat way too much. You can uh, but that's try why I love anything. it. That's awesome. Very, very <laughs> cool. Okay, if you were to travel anywhere in the world other than Disney, where would you go? Uh, I've actually been talking with my girlfriend about maybe doing a trip to Tokyo and doing Japan. That I mean, we obviously really cool. would hit up Disneyland in yeah. Japan as well, but yeah, uh, I think to. just to see Tokyo would be awesome. That would be really, really cool. Uh, yeah. We got two more. Are you going to be at the Disney D23 Expo this year, potentially? Not this year. I would love to go in the future, and it's my plan as I grow the channel to eventually make it out there. It's okay. flying cross country is tough. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, not this year, but maybe next year, hopefully. You should plan your trip that you're trying to get to Disneyland this summer around that, and then you can when, hang out when's with D23 all When's D twenty three this year? D twenty three is July sixteenth through the no. 15th through the 18th, I think. Well, if it's in July, that actually might be a possibility because I was go. thinking of going to California in July to do cool. Disneyland and, you know, visit California in general. So I don't know. Yeah. Now now that answer is a maybe. Who knows? There I you have go. to look into that. Yeah. Look at that. Cool. Um, and then finally, your favorite Disney memory. So this could be from any of the parks, even maybe not even from a park. Maybe it was from a movie or a, uh, or a show, just something that really kind of strikes you. Okay, this is not going to be a sh the shortest answer, but uh, it's an exclusive because this was um, this happened on the last trip in January, and it was okay. a, it was a moment or experience that we I had, neither Christine or I recorded, and I don't know. At first, I think it was just because it happened so fast we didn't think to record it, uh, but then eventually I was just like, no, I'm not. Gonna, this is our memory as a group. We didn't need to vlog it, and I've never talked about it on the channel, but. Um, we were just all really goofy and we were uh, getting on to Soren. It was late at night. We were very tired and we were we had the whole row of Soren to ourselves. And I like to really like just joke around and come up with stupid questions and stupid topics. And I turn to the person next to me and I say, hey, if you had the ability to fly like as a like as a superpower, but the only way you could fly is if you hold your arms and your legs directly out and like in a seated position fly forward, would you do it? And we started to imagine how ridiculous it would look that <laughs> rather than Superman flying like he does, he's just sort of sitting on his arms out and his legs out. And we realized we're on Soren. So as the ride's getting up to take off, we all do that. And we stick our <laughs> arms out, we stick our legs directly out. And we're just throughout the entire ride of Soren laughing hysterically, like tears in our eyes, because we're just <laughs> simulating what that's like. And, uh, Everybody in the row, like next to us, was looking at us weird. A couple of people started doing it along with us, <laughs> even though they're not part of the group. That's they thought, awesome. like, maybe that's just a thing that happens in Soren. And uh, it was, it was probably my favorite Disney memory. I mean, it was very recent, but it was with a group of friends that I love, and it wasn't something that we were just doing for the channel or a video. It was just us goofing off and having fun, and uh, 
it was a way to take a ride that I had ridden many times and was not in any way like really special anymore and it just made it really fun and unique and it was just all based on this dumb question that i was goofing off with (laughs) that's cool how many people were in this group uh we were at our smallest nine people at our largest 11 people wow that's awesome coming and going yeah it was it was very interesting changed the dynamic of touring greatly like i learned a lot about touring with a big group and just how time works differently when you have to consider like nine people and everybody's wants um but uh it was a fun time it was a good trip um and now hopefully for everyone listening the next time you're on soren just stick out your legs and arms and just try it out it's fun there are going to be so many weird looks I'm going to get on Monday from my friend Ron because it's going to be <laughs> it's fun because we're both going to be vlogging. He does just lifestyle vlog. I do more of all Disney stuff, but I've done a couple different vlogs. So we're planning to get them up on the exact same day and have because we're going to be together all day. So it'll be just like two different perspectives of the exact same day. But it'll be funny to just I'll just be in there like this and everybody's like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. Also, it's funny. Having gone to Disney so many times with Christine and then a few times with Keith and then sometimes with all three of us, uh, mm-hmm. having three vloggers vlogging at the same time could be <laughs> very bizarre. So get oh, ready bet. for it to feel weird at first, but you get over it really quickly. Uh, just all those cameras out there. Me, taking a picture of you. <laughs> oh, that sounds uh, awesome. Oh, one more. I'm going to throw this one more memory out there just because it's a long lasting one. Uh, When I was a little kid, Ritual, my mom liked to take photos of my sister and I wearing those giant sombreros in Mexico and Epcot. And I hated them. I hated taking those photos. And so every time we would, I would be really cranky. And she would just like, I guess out of spite, take the photo anyway. So I have like this history of photos of me just really upset wearing a giant sombrero. And now that I'm an adult, I go and I take a cranky sombrero pic, which, you know, I love doing it now. I'm not cranky, right. but I right. for the photo, I get cranky. And I had mentioned it in videos in the past. And so people would tweet me uh, photos of them in Mexico <laughs> taking a cranky sombrero pic. So anyone out there listening, go take a cranky sombrero pic. Uh, I think it's like hashtag cranky sombrero. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Okay, um, I just came up with one more final rapid fire question. Uh, we're gonna end <laughs> it with with this one. Um, you now are up to I think the last time I checked it was fifteen thousand subscribers on YouTube. Is that right? Yep. So, for all the upcoming YouTubers, vloggers, podcasters like me, what's a great way to continue to grow your audience and find that fan base to the point where you can ask for listener questions and the, then they will roll in? Like, how, how can you get there? So, um, it won't be a rapid-fire answer, but I think it's, it's useful <laughs> to know this sort of stuff. Uh, YouTube yeah. requires a lot of consistency, so it doesn't matter. You don't have to do a video every day. You don't even have to do three videos a week. Um, Even if it's just one video a week, doing it that same day, releasing it at the same time, does a lot to help an audience know when to expect content. And the more they can expect it, the more they'll stick with it. And that's a good way to grow in that term. Um, I also suggest for a lot of upcoming YouTubers to like, experiment try all sorts of different things like you'll never know like i started my channel as a video game channel and the only reason my channel is the size it is is because one day i was like hmm what if i made a minecraft video where i talked about disney history which was not on my like docket of things to do ever but i gave it a shot and it worked and i just knew when to roll with it 
Um, on top of that, you know, there's a lot of uh, more boring stuff associated with YouTube that's good to know. Things like search engine optimization, you know, your metadata and tags. And it sounds right. boring, but it's the sort of stuff that really goes a long way into helping yourself get found. Um, and then finally, just like uh, Disney, especially if your channel is Disney related, like it's a great community. Like my channel was doing fine on its own. But once I started tweeting with other creators and, you know, listening to other podcasts and myself submitting questions and getting out there, it it becomes almost like a family where, you know, people will cross promote and, and you can grow a lot from that. So it's like experiment. Once you see something that seems to work, roll with it and then just, you know, just be a, be a part of the community that you want to see grow around you as well. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 15 of Turning On To Harbor, the special month episode with Rob Plays That Game. Rob, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you on the socials? Uh, so I'm on Twitter under Rob Plays. Uh, I'm on Instagram and YouTube at Rob Plays That Game. And uh, I think that's all I do for these days. Uh yeah, I was trying to think if I had other social network stuff. That's it. Twitter, WeChat, all that stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Thank you so much, Rob. This has been super fun. And thank you all for listening to episode 15 of Turning on the Harbor. Bye. Bye.